You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. So we are in the final sermon of this very long summer sermon series called Many Voices that we have been embarking on while our senior pastor, George Hinman, has been on sabbatical. George actually comes home this week, thanks be to God. And... um, Talk about endurance? No, I I think he's had a wonderful um, time, and we're looking forward to having him back. He will actually be starting a sermon series next week. Is this on the back of our bulletins? You can see this. No, it's not, so I'll just tell you. It's, um, um, that's my mistake. The next sermon series next week, George is starting on prayer. It's going to be looking in a number of weeks at the Lord's Prayer. And actually, we have a class that is happening um, alongside that sermon series for six weeks. Where I'm um, here, Colleen, will you stand up and, and wave your hand? Colleen's our facilitator, and then myself and JJ and Ryan and Courtney will be joining with Colleen. And we've got a, a, a class on prayer that starts September 11th that goes along with George's uh, sermon series that you're invited to. It's during this service. So you would need to worship at the nine, at the 8.30 service or the um, 11.45 or in the evening. Just worship in the evening. Um, but George will be home. I'm wrapping up. I'm the final voice of our many voices, this sermon series on a borderless gospel that we've been doing. Um, I want to tell you about uh, Stuart the Alien. Um, that's what my housemates and I call them. I had this really weird month. It wasn't even a full month, unfortunately, right after I graduated, where there were like three different men asking me out and buying me dinners. Um, and it was fun, and that was great, and we kind of uh, named the different ones to keep, them, to keep them apart. And one of them was Stuart the Alien, and the way that Stuart got that name is we'd been out for dinner, and he launched this theory that um, he had that actually Jesus was an alien. And this explained a lot. Because, you know, Jesus was just so hyperkinetically advanced, and he could read people's minds, and um, this is why he could do miracles and things like this, because he just had better technology, right? And um, my gospel fluency wasn't great at the time. I don't remember the conversation, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't, um, well, we didn't go out again, so I'm sure it wasn't a great <laughs> conversation. But now if there's a chance to talk about that more I think you know well maybe that explains kind of overcoming these space the boundaries of space right the physical boundaries of this life it doesn't explain him being able to cross these borders of time Um, that we have a gospel that when we talk about a borderless gospel we're not just talking about ethnic groups and we're not just talking about nations We're also talking about good news that transcends and goes beyond the boundaries of space and time. That there's a story that holds this story we're living, and it ends well. It ends with God's kingdom being established and all the nations and all the tribes and all the tongues coming together and justice being restored. We long for this. I mean, how many of you got totally sucked into the Olympics? I got completely sucked into the Olympics, right? This is how pathetically sucked in I got. It was on DVR, and I still stayed up to like 12.31 watching what I just recorded. Because I just love the Olympics, right? And there's still something inside that thinks maybe there's something where all these nations can come together. But the reality is that we've seen, I mean, we get doping scandals and we get drunk swimmers and false police report scandals and and we get an Egyptian wrestler who will not shake the hand of his Israeli opponent. This cannot overcome these uh, borders. We need something 
that can overcome the tangible borders the things in between human beings, and also can overcome the borders of space and time with a promise that endures, a promise that lasts. And that is this gospel of the Word of God. And so to wrap up this discussion that we've been having on this borderless gospel, I'm gonna, this sermon's going to be arranged a little weird, and I'm going to say it out loud just so I remember it as well as you. Is I'm going to start actually with a um, just passing on some teaching to you that I actually just received this past week. I was at a conference in Nashville, and Andy Crouch, who is the editor for Christianity Today, um, did some teaching on creation and our purpose as humanity. And as I listened to him, I thought this is so helpful for what we've been hearing this summer. So I'm going to take just a little bit at the beginning of the sermon to relay to you some of that teaching. And actually, if this provokes something, you want to know more about Genesis, you want to know more about this creation, there's another class I want you to know about that also starts. It's on Genesis at 10 o'clock on September 11th. Teresa and Herbie Froelich are teaching that. So I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to move from that into sort of relating, like I said, what we've been hearing this summer to, um, to this story of what creation and human beings created in God's image were supposed to be. And then I'm going to wrap up with the end of our discussion from this little church in Thessalonica. We've been, I've been looking in three sermons at the letter to the Thessalonians. And we're going to talk about, we've talked about already how God's word is an encounter with Jesus, the living word. We've talked already about how God's word is effective. It goes to work. When we participate in God's word and God's promises, God participates and goes to work here. But today, what we also need to finish with is how God's word is enduring. It crosses the borders of space and time, and God keeps God's promises. So are you ready? Does that sound like about 45 minutes? Yeah? We're going to try not to, yeah, exactly. We're going to try not to spend 45 minutes on that. Um, but we're going to, I want to end, I want to read you where we're going to end, which is this benediction that Paul gave to the Thessalonians. And it comes from 1 Thessalonians 3. It's on page 960 of these Bibles your black Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 to 13. Paul has just related how ecstatic he was that the Thessalonians are enduring. They're not falling away. They're, they're not giving up. They're, they've received God's enduring word, and because they've received that word and they're planted in that word, they have endurance. They're making it. And then this is the blessing he gives them as they, as they try to endure. It's in 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that the results of our time in worship today will be an abounding love, that we will be more deeply rooted and grounded in your love, that you give us the capacity to love others well, and that you will empower us to endure as your holy people until the day when we face you uh, on your return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um... The new heaven and the new earth. This is our hope in the gospel. This is the promise, is at the end of the space-time thing, the end of the story will be a new heaven and a new earth. And to get at a vision of what God intends for humanity, 
to participate in that new heaven and that new earth, it helps to look at the first creation, what God intended when God first created humanity. And this is where Andy Crouch's teaching was so interesting, because he made the observation that when God created humanity, there were two things true of human persons. The first is um, being made in the image of God was being given authority in creation. Do you remember in Genesis 1, the stewardship of all creation? Uh, go out, be fruitful, multiply. I'm handing this over to you. That You're responsible now for this. There's an authority in the first creation. But then also we're told in the story in Genesis 2 and 3 that there's a vulnerability. They were naked. They were exposed and unashamed in creation. And what Andy Crouch did that was so helpful to me, and so I wanted to share it with you, and I'm just showing you some of my notes on the screen, is he drew this quadrant. And on the one line, he put vulnerability. So the further we are to the, I guess it's your right as you're looking at it, is vulnerability. And the way he, he, um, he talked about vulnerability from the creation story is this exposure to risk. Um, that they were created naked and ashamed. And he, and he noted that even in creation now, human beings, um, as creatures in creation, are more exposed to risk than, than other mammals, other creatures. Um, infants are dependent for far longer, human infants are, than other creatures that are born and are right away or swimming and right away walking. That there, there's, there's an essential vulnerability to being human. Uh, but then on the other axis, he puts authority. And the definition that he drew for authority from the creation story is the capacity for meaningful action. The capacity for meaningful action. What you do in this world as human beings matters. The capacity for meaningful action. Do you remember in the Psalms, the psalmist wrote, uh, what is man, O Lord, that you were mindful of him? You created him a little lower than the angels. That what we do has a meaningful effect a real effect on other people and on the world. So there's this, and then he, he played out, he said, okay, so what does this mean then? If we have this quadrant, what does it mean to live in different places of this quadrant? Because I'll give you a sneak peek of what's going to come up later. We were created in the image of God to live in this combination of authority and vulnerability. But that's not our experience in the world, is it? Some people experience the lower right quadrant. And that's the experience of vulnerability, of exposure with no authority, of, of exposure and being acted upon without any capacity or power to control or push back or, or do meaningful action on what is acting upon them. Uh, this is when Rich Stearns preached to us near the beginning of this service, uh, sermon series, and he spoke about refugees. Refugees would be down in this area. And in the scripture, when they talk, when scripture talks about people who live in this quadrant, then he's, the scripture uses the term poverty or the poor. To be poor in scripture is not simply to be materially bereft. To be poor in scripture is to not have the capacity, to not have the power for meaningful action you're, you're acted upon. So as a refugee, as, as, as an immigrant without status, um, as a widow or an orphan, uh, when many of our, Jerry Swigert and, and Brenda Salter McNeil spoke to us about race and those who, because of their race, have found themselves acted upon without the authority for meaningful action back. Uh, you've probably experienced this yourself uh, in, in the workplace. Times where you have been exposed to risk and you can't do anything about it. Um, some people here have been in abusive relationships or unhealthy relationships. 
Uh, when you've been sick, I know when I had cancer myself, to, to know, I just felt so powerless. That's what illness does. You just feel powerless over this thing that's acting upon you to your harm. And, and what can you do about it? And a big part of healing is, is being given back the capacity for meaningful action in response to this illness. So we know, we can feel what it feels like to live there, right? Are we, are we tracking with this? So then he said, okay, how about if you move over to the other side, where you have, you neither take the capacity, you have no authority or capacity for meaningful action, but you're also not exposed, right? Those two things. And, and he described that as safety, but not a good kind of safety. Not like a security sort of safety. This is the safety of the cruise ship, right? Someone else is driving this boat. Uh, your biggest risk is there's going to be something funky in the food, right? I mean, it's just, this is, you're along for the ride. This is, this is, it's, it's an illusion in scripture. But this place of safety where I'm not responsible for anything, and I also, there's no exposure to risk. I'm living in my parents' basement and I'm playing video games. Right? This is, this is that quadrant. Right? And let's be honest, sometimes we just want to go there. Right? We get home at 10.30 and we just want to watch the Olympics till 1 and pretend we don't have responsibilities tomorrow. Okay? So there's that. But most of us know that's not real. That's not going to last. You're either going to end up back over in the powerless place or you're going to move up a quadrant. And this is where most of us strive to live. And this is the quadrant where you have meaningful action but no exposure. Meaningful action, but no exposure. This is the control quadrant, you might call it. This is, this is where we like to be, to keep ourselves safe from what could happen. In scripture, the word for this is actually idolatry. Idolatry are the things we use to control life and surroundings, to establish and, 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 and maintain firm control of life without exposure to risk. These idols of money or sex or power that we, that we control, that we use to keep ourselves uh, safe, to keep ourselves not being exposed to risk. The goal here is high control and as little exposure as possible. And, and humans, I would suggest, this is naturally, ever since the fall into sin where we want to live. Remember what the serpent said to Eve? You don't have to be like God. I mean, don't you want to be like God? Knowing all things, no, no exposure, no risk. You can be like God. Go for it. Live here, full control, no exposure, no risk. Think how often this is what we tr where you try to live here. This was so convicting to me in Nashville. I thought, okay, if I'm honest, that's where I feel safest. High control, little risk, right? If we're, we can relate to this now, right? Are you with me on this one? Yeah? And so what is the upper right where we're actually created to be? The image of God. The upper right is where we have a, a meaningful action, the capacity for meaningful action, but also the capacity for meaningful risk and exposure. And that in scripture is what it means to bear the image of God. That we live in this place where we have the, the gift and the capacity for meaningful action, but we also live there with risk, with, with, with exposure. And how do we know that this is what the image of God was supposed to be? I mean, it's not enough to get it from like three, po three chapters in Genesis. The way we know this is when we look forward, and I'm leaving Andy's notes now, and starting to reflect on what we've been hearing for the last eight weeks. When we look forward, who is the one in Scripture who is, is in human flesh fully bears the image of God? It's like Sunday school. You never get wrong with this answer. 
Jesus, good job, people. See, that was so low risk. That was so low risk. You just, yeah. Jesus. This is what we see in Jesus. Jesus, who in, 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 in form and all authority was given to him under the Father, but he risked it all. He was willing to live exposed, um, uh, holding, holding this authority that God had given him. And I want to talk about this. Let's think about this in terms, in the very terms that Mark Laberton used last week when he spoke from Matthew. Um, and I'll catch you up if you weren't here. Mark Laberton spoke from the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And, and he started out, Jesus was teaching. Jesus is teaching the crowd. Now, the crowd is in that lower left-hand quadrant throughout the Gospels. The crowds are the people who are basically on this cruise with Jesus. They're not taking the risk of discipleship, and they're not trying to control him. There, you know, there's a lot of food, feeding of the 5,000. There's great entertainment, but they have no responsibilities. When you read the Gospels, that's who the crowd is. And so we have the crowd in this story. They're the ones who just heard this sermon, and Jesus warns them of something. We'll come back to that. And then just as soon as Jesus comes down from the mountain, the first person he ran into is who? Remember? A leper. Exactly. He runs into a leper. The leper is down in that exposure poverty quadrant. He's an outsider in this culture. He cannot heal himself. He cannot reconnect himself into society. He's got nothing left. And then the second person that Jesus ran into was who in those stories? Do you remember? The centurion, right? The centurion is the epitome of control. He represents Rome, which is, which is all control, all power, ability to influence, and no risk. No exposure as a representative of Rome. And now, remember how Jesus interacts with these three quadrants. Remember with the crowd, the warning that Jesus gives at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says to the crowd, you are not safe. This house that you're building, it's built on sand. If you hear my words and don't do something about them, if you don't get up here with me in the way you've been called to live with me, with authority and vulnerability, you don't do anything about this, it's sand, people, and it's going to go down. You are not safe. It's an apocalyptic warning that he gives them. And they recognize that he has authority. They say it, don't they? He has authority our scribes and everybody else doesn't have. And then the first person Jesus encounters is that leper. See, what Jesus does with Jesus' authority, with the authority that God has given him, is he extends it, he risks it on behalf of the powerless. It's the first thing he does. To risk his authority... To join the powerless in meaningful action. Bearing risk on behalf of the vulnerable. That's what Jesus does with the leper. Write that down for yourself. Note that. Bearing risk on behalf of the vulnerable. Not only does Jesus do that, but then when the centurion comes into play, Jesus commends the most faithful people Jesus knows this is what they do. They move from this place of being able to influence and being able to power like where the centurion was. And not only come over to Jesus, but the fact their faith is shown in their courage to bear risk on behalf of the vulnerable. This is what the centurion does when he comes to Jesus. He says, I've got this vulnerable servant. He's not only a slave in Roman culture, but he's sick. It's a double whammy. So what moves the centurion over to be where Jesus is is bearing risk on behalf of the vulnerable. And this, Jesus says, is faith. This is great faith. This is a life built on the rock. This is a faith that, I haven't seen faith like this, he says. 
This is, this is the good news. Now this summer, we've had many voices calling us to the kind of active faith that, that is in that place where Jesus is, that participates in Jesus' mission to bear risk on behalf of the vulnerable, haven't we? I mean, think about, think about some of the things we've heard this summer. We heard, I mentioned earlier, Rich Stearns, where Rich said, you know, we have these refugees, we have people that we are called who are in their vulnerability, in their poverty, that we are called to use our influence and our control to come over and help bear risk on their behalf. This is what he called us to, out of our control and idolatry into that. And we had Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, who used the story of Esther. And do you remember where Esther had placed herself? Esther had been very vulnerable in poverty, and then she got herself into the position of queen, and she was safe. She thought she was safe. She wasn't taking risks, but she was no longer so vulnerable. And do you remember what happened when Mordecai came? Esther, you are not safe. This is not going to last. You have been born for such a time as this. Recognize, recognize where you can take action, meaningful control and action on behalf of your fellow Jews who are about to be exterminated. And Mordecai invites Esther into that place of authority and vulnerability. This was, this was the other invitation. Get out of that safety place. You're not safe. And you know the one that really has been gotten me thinking is uh, Dr. Soong Chong Ra. When Soong Chong came and he talked to us about lament in a culture that wants to move from the vulnerability of loss and exposure to a place of control. And instead, he said, you need to go down and lament. And one of the things I heard him saying to us is, you know what? If you are up in this place high control or you're just too safe and you're not quite sure how to make that move across to where Jesus is, come join some people who have lived in the place of lament, who have been in the place of great exposure without a meaningful way to act. Come lament with us. We'll show you. We'll show you how to move into the place of Jesus, a meaningful action, at the same time being intimately aware of our vulnerability. This was a wonderful inf uh, invitation that Soon Chong gave to us. So here's my question, though. So I've heard all of this this summer. We've talked about it in terms of the Thessalonians, haven't we? The Thessalonians were pretty safe before Paul showed up, weren't they? They were doing their thing. They thought they were safe. Then Paul shows up with this living word of God, and they are encountered the same way that Jesus encountered the crowd. They are encountered with this gospel, this word, and this spirit. And this encounter exposes their idolatry. It exposes their place of control and says, turn, turn and worship, turn and serve, turn and join Jesus in Jesus' mission. This is where you need to go. And you know where it landed them? Poverty. They were afflicted. They were immediately on the outs. And when Paul writes his letters, there's three great risks. One of the great risks is they're just going to grieve down there in their affliction and lose all hope in the authority of Jesus Christ up in that upper quadrant and participating in Jesus' authority. Another risk is that they're just going to go back to safety, just hide. There's some of them that were like, Jesus is coming back. I'm not working anymore. I'm just going to wait for him to show. That's an apocalyptic safety kind of thing. They didn't want to work anymore. Or they're just going to go back to being asleep. Read in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says, you cannot go back to being asleep. You were asleep once. Here's what it looks like. Don't do that. Don't go back to safety. Or the other risk that they have is they're just going to take control. They're just going to take revenge. They're going to go back to their idolatry. Paul needs them to live in that enduring place. You know what he calls it? Holiness. Holiness. 
Some of us think about holiness as being in completely in control and never sinning. That's not holiness. Jesus' holiness was lived out in such a winsome and beautiful way in the, in the application of authority for the sake of the most vulnerable. That's holiness. That's holiness, yielding for the sake of the other. And this is, right, this is what he calls the Thessalonians into. But see, my question is, okay, what prevents all of us from moving? Where do we get stuck? As we've heard these different sermons, as we think about our own life, what prevents us from joining Jesus in that place of the full image of God being transformed into Jesus' image, the, the having both authority and vulnerability, authority and exposure? I've, I've wondered this for myself. What prevents us from moving there? Now, I think there's a lot of answers to that. I think this is something to reflect on. Here's just the one that has been niggling at me this week, and it's this. That often I feel that what prevents us from turning is a serious fear of what there is to be lost. The serious fear of what there is to be lost. The reason people stayed away from lepers is they didn't have a cure for that disease. The reason that as a centurion you don't let your guard down is because you will lose. Remember also that when Jesus reached out to the centurion, who crucified Jesus? Who drove the nails in? Centurions. There was a centurion that stood at the base of his cross and declared he was the son of God after he'd put him on that cross. And you remember this crowd that, you know, their safety wasn't being affirmed anymore? They were part of yelling for his crucifixion. Central to the gospel in terms of our gospel fluency is recognizing that we're talking about real losses. If we share the gospel in a way that just says, you know, this is all, everything is comfort, everything will be restored, we're lying. There are things in this time and space and life that are real losses. And some of them are real losses because we've already been exposed and vulnerable to our own sin or sin of others, and then the cross is very good news. It's a comfort. And some of them are losses because we're being called out of our safety and out of our control and our idolatry to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And those are the losses, quite frankly, that scare me. Scripture's word for that is being ashamed. Do you remember this in Paul? There's two places where Paul writes that he's not ashamed of the gospel. One of them is in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of, God, of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Gentile, and first for the Jew, and then for the Greek. See, scripture memorization is worth it, but difficult. First for the Jew, and then for the Greek. This is the, this is the not being ashamed we're used to talking about. This is the my sins are forgiven, not being ashamed. This is the everything that life has taken because there is evil in the world, not being ashamed. This is Jesus is going to restore all of this. You are no longer named and bound and destroyed by your past. And that's good news. But there's another ashamed we very rarely talk about that's so important. And it's, you can find it in 2 Timothy 1.12. And Paul says, same starting, I am not ashamed. And here's what he says. I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I've entrusted to him. Here's what this kind of shame is. This is the shame of being duped. This is the shame of having trusted something that doesn't work out. This is the shame of having put our whole selves into something and then find out you couldn't trust that word. 
That wasn't an enduring word. That wasn't going to work for you. I have a good friend, Kelly Lunda, who is absolutely one of my heroes. And Kelly, when she was young in her 20s, was a speed skater from Wisconsin. Uh, same time as Eric Hyden and, and his sister is Beth Hyden, right, is, is his sister. Uh, Kelly Lunda holds world uh, U.S. records still because when she skated in Wisconsin, uh, it was outdoors. So you can still find her records. Um, she has talked before about this promise, this hope of the Olympics. And because of this promise or this hope, she was willing to say no to very many things growing up. She lost them. They were gone. Certain sleepovers, eating a certain way, you know, comfort. She, she left all of that. She lived into this promise and this hope. That is, uh, that is, that is, uh, holiness, right? Living into, making your whole life be shaped by this promise and this hope. The theological word for that is holiness. And Kelly was really good. And at the qualifying trials for the Olympics, her race didn't work that day. And she missed it by fractions of a second. She was the best in the States, and she didn't go. And there's a devastation when you have given everything of yourself for a promise, and then you're not able to meaningfully control that outcome and get it. Now, Kelly's story is a remarkable story of learning not to be ashamed and the way that Jesus rebuilt that. The reason I mention it for us is because we all walk around with this fear, ever since the fall, of being naked and ashamed, of putting ourselves entirely into a future hope or a future promise and then not having it happen and being left with that. And Paul says, this is not a fear with the gospel. Because Jesus already went into that place of being naked and ashamed, God has promised that from outside of time and space, this new heaven, this new earth will be restored. The image of God and humanity will be restored among those who participate in faith with Jesus Christ. I can remember there were many years when I was, you know, single, giving up a lot of stuff to do what I thought God had called me to do. And there were times that I would pray before God and go, seriously, am I going to get to the end of my life and I've been duped? Tell me this works out. Tell me I'm not going to stand in front of you and go, really? I gave all those things up, and for what? <coughs> this is what Paul's talking about. That, and now, I'll be honest with you, now I'm in a place where I just want to be safe. <laughs> Can you relate to that? I don't want to lose any of it. I don't want to lose any of it. We move around in our life. But the promise, the enduring word of God, is that the only place to be safe, the only place to really be in control, it's to be with Jesus over in the place of unashamed hope. Unashamed hope is that image of God. Unashamed hope is that I am certain that one day I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and all things will be restored. All the mistakes, everything was taken, and everything that was given up for the sake of this promise. Peter went to Jesus one time and said, really, is this going to be worth it? find this in your Gospels. We've given up everything. We've given up fields. We've given up families. We've given up everything. Is this going to be worth it? And Jesus promises him he will. And so at another point, when so many disciples decide we're not in this game, we're going back to safety, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, you're walking away too? And what does he say? We heard it earlier. Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the invitation to live in the endurance and the enduring Word of God. To know that every promise God has made, every command God has given, will be established and will come true. That is on the authority of the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The authority that we see at this table. And to live in hope that we can live exposed, giving all of our authority for the sake of others. Because we are participating in a kingdom that will definitely come to bear. And we know that the one to whom we have entrusted all things will be faithful and he will come through. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.